0: are listening to footprints on our hearts a podcast about baby loss legacy and learning to live again with me alison ingleby the baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts Good morning and welcome to episode 45 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I've got an interview with Jenna Johnson whose daughter Poppy Hope was born and then died sadly just 26 hours after her birth. We talk about Jenna's bicornuate uterus, which is a new one for me, and I think a new one for the podcast. We haven't had one of those on here before. And her experience of a PPROM, that is premature rupture of her membranes at 12 weeks, and the decision she was given or the choice she was given between miscarrying naturally or terminating her pregnancy. I find it quite interesting how often similar themes will come up a couple of weeks in a row on the podcast and if you listen to last week's episode you'll remember that really good discussion around terminology and use of language by medical professionals when talking to parents who are either having problems in pregnancy or receive some unexpected news and there's often this uh, perhaps this assumption um that parents should terminate a pregnancy under certain circumstances, whereas, in fact, you know, that that might not be the right decision for those parents. It might be the right decision for some families and not for others. Um, So this is another interesting conversation around that. And, of course, um, being earlier this year, Jenna's experiences were all taking place under the backdrop of COVID-19. And, in fact, her experience was, was particularly acute because she was being treated at one of the first hospitals who started receiving covid patients um in the uk you know way back in march i think so it's a really good discussion with jenna and i hope you enjoy it just before we get into that i wanted to put out another shout out really um for or another request for uh assistance so if you'll remember back in august i think maybe july the months have gone by so fast <laughs> I put out a request for some help with editing the podcast Um, and I had a couple of people step forward, a couple of really good friends of mine who've been helping me out for the past few months editing episodes and I'm hugely grateful to the four of you for, for helping me out with that and really I couldn't have carried on producing this podcast and putting it out weekly without that help. However that was you know a sort of emergency arrangement which I put in um for a kind of interim period, um, I really would like to continue putting out this podcast and I still need some help with the editing. So I'm just putting out a call out to see if anyone listening might be interested in helping out and helping me produce the podcast. So I'm looking for one or two editors who can commit to editing two or more episodes a month for at least a three month period. You don't have to have previous experience of audio work or editing, as I can provide full training, and it's pretty straightforward. I, um, I'm fairly computer literate, but I'm not a techie person, and you know I, I find it okay. its I'll, I'll be honest, it's not necessarily the most exciting work. You do get a sneak preview of all the interviews before they go live, um, and you get to hear all those stories, um, but I would be very grateful for anyone who feels that they are able to help out in this way if you're interested in the opportunity then please do get in touch with me either on instagram you can uh, direct message me on instagram at footprints on our hearts or drop me an email and my email address is alison at footprints on our hearts Right. We are into December now. Um, If anyone's doing Advent to Remember, I hope it's going well for you so far. I've been doing a few little things every day, but as I sort of said in my special episode a couple of weeks ago, I'm not really putting any pressure on myself this year. I want to do things to remember Sky, but to be honest, this, this podcast is probably the biggest the biggest piece of work i do in terms of her legacy um, so my focus for for december and i guess advent to remember in terms of that is keeping this going and keeping putting episodes out there for you to listen to so without further ado um, enjoy this week's podcast episode <music> Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Jenna whose daughter Poppy Hope died just a day after she was born in May 2020 while the UK was in lockdown due to COVID-19. Welcome to the podcast Jenna and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Oh you're welcome, so Poppy is your second daughter, and I just wanted to start by asking, how was your pregnancy and birth with your eldest daughter, Daisy, and was there anything that raised any concerns for you in terms of poppy's pregnancy?
1: um yes, yeah, so with um getting pregnant with Daisy, um it started pretty much after me and my husband got married and we had the conversation about you know children as you do before but it was kind of like let's think about it you know once we're married um but um I had a few issues in my early 20s um with my um reproductive system so um when I was about was it about twenty in two thousand and eleven um when I was about twenty-six, um I got really poorly with sepsis and I was in hospital for two weeks and basically um under them two weeks investigations um it came to light that I have two uteruses. Um yeah. And
0: this oh, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you here. I'm terrible <laughs> for interrupting, but
1: I had I had honestly
0: I've never heard of this before. Like how how common is that? And and how do you get to uteruses right (laughs) that's a really good question but no it
1: is it's it's yeah it blew my mind so I when I tell people it's kind of like a bit of a like party trick (laughs) It's 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 my magic power (laughs) It's my magic power and yeah so originally when 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 I found out I was I was only in my 20s and I was really poorly so I, I didn't really I kind of didn't do as much research as you do like later on when something like that is so, you know, important. But yeah, so we basically um found out about the two uteruses and, and they said that it happens when um the fetus is developing in in obviously the you know, my mum's my mum's pregnancy. Um and it's what I got told it was called a bicorner uterus. So it was um it was like a heart shape and it has um, a left and a right and um separate ovaries to it so I was like right okay and they were like so you might have some difficulty with your fertility um so that was obviously in, in my early 20s a bit of a shock but I wasn't really in a relationship and it, it sounds silly I kind of because I was so poorly I, I kind of blacked blocked it out as such from what I think now um and yeah so they basically said this is what it is and you might have some issues with fertility when you're ready to decide with children you know um kind of come and see us um and that was it oh and also what they told me too is um that I have one kidney and that that's also very common um in not common as in it's common that you have two uteruses but um when people do have this type of um, abnormality and um, the kidney also is. So that was what was making me quite poorly and it all kind of interlinked. But when I did research and I'm a mum, it was kind of like one in a million people and um, from what we I I can't quote that now because it was way back when but yeah so I used to say oh I'm one in a million (laughs) it was just kind of like a a talking point and you know I spoke to my mum and she's like well do you want children I was like I don't know mum I haven't met the one (laughs) to decide and yeah so I just kind of carried on and and you know just as you do with, 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 in your early 20s I got better and yeah that was that was it and then obviously moving forward met my husband got married discussing children and kind of after we were married it was like right I, I kind of I want to start thinking about it now but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous and he was aware of obviously what had happened in in the past and he was he's really good he's like right we'll we'll just see what happens and I was like yeah okay and um that was I think in the November and I was pregnant um by the end of January so I was like wow excited but shocked because I just had this impression of oh I might not even have children I I don't I I just I didn't want to explore it I just thought right let's try and see what happens and it actually happens and we were like wow this Mm. is amazing um and did you get did you get any specialist care then
0: because of of your uterus? And I guess did they have to do extra scans to check where she'd implanted and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was it was, you know, you yeah, have your booking in 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 um appointments and um I with Daisy I uh, went for a private scan. Um just again, once I was pregnant, I started thinking, right, okay, and, and researching is this what 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 do I need to do? now I'm pregnant basically because I hadn't really explored it a lot to be honest um so yeah so uh, I went for a private scan at eight weeks and then the booking and I I made them aware of obviously the the two uteruses and they were quite they were quite oh yeah you know we've seen it before and um you know and you'll you'll possibly be under a consultant and I was like yeah great okay and it just went from the 12-week scan um to kind of the 20 week and then at the 20 week I got assigned to a consultant um and yeah and, and my pregnancy with with Daisy um was quite well was quite to me textbook but some other people might not have been because I was aware that I might have a few issues but it was going so well um yeah and then she was breech um and I had a few more growth scans and she said she was. Um, coming across really small. And I think it was around about the 35 week mark. And again, uneventful, nothing that flagged up until about, I'd say 35 weeks. And then um, they said, oh, she's really small and she might be born at two pounds. And like we were like, what? Wow. And they were like, we might have to get her out now. And we'll try and um because she was breached, we'll try and turn her. And there was a lot of conversations around that week. Um, and basically, I, I said, you know, I, I, I don't want a Turner, and um, because I've done my research, there's not much space for t- to Turner, um. But yeah, so that that was the, I'd say around the thirty-five to thirty-seven. There was a lot of appointments then, um, and then I had a final scan, and they were like, oh right, okay, well, she doesn't look that small anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, two weeks of like mayhem but I was relieved um yeah so we had a we booked in for a planned c-section at 39 weeks because she was breech and um they said with the uterus it's too complicated for a natural birth which I'd come to terms with you know throughout that throughout the pregnancy and um yeah planned c-section it was very bizarre I went in at 11 o'clock in the morning I had uh, you know I was very calm um with Matt, and, and um and yeah sat around playing cards <laughs> wait waiting I was I was the last there was me and two other women um and yeah and they went they went first they put me last on the list because they said due to my uterus if there's any complications we haven't got anyone waiting um so I was like oh gosh I was starving I remember being so hungry <laughs> because you can't eat <laughs> And that's not good when you're heavily pregnant. And um, yeah, and she was born at um, seven minutes past five at £7.1. Like, I was like, so wow. So she wasn't
0: that tiny after all. No. I mean, that, you know, it's a little bit smaller than average, but not much. It's ama- I always find it's amazing how they can get scans wrong because I had completely the opposite with my. So with my son Rowan, he was predicted to be well. One hospital predicted him at six nine, and one at seven and a half pounds, and he yeah. was six pounds two.
1: <laughs> so it's he was crazy. so much smaller, you know. It's crazy. Isn't it is. It? It, I find this, the the scans anyway. I, I think it's amazing what they do, like to see what. Out to me, some of the pictures you're like, how can they see that? <laughs> yeah, but I was, you know, in the C section. It was Matt was there when I had the um the epidural and and everyone it was so calm and I was obviously scared like like you are it's a big operation and scared but I was ready you know I was ready I was ready like I'm ready for this I'm mentally prepared for it and yeah it just all went it went so well and and mm-hmm. she was she was here and, and that was it and the, as I say the only slight complication was then two weeks of saying right is she small is she not what should we do mm-hmm. and I'm glad obviously we held out for the um the 39 weeks because she was perfect yeah.
0: So despite potentially some initial concerns everything went okay and ended up okay in terms of your pregnancy with Daisy which must have been um, really reassuring so let's fast forward a couple of years how did you feel
1: then when you found out you were pregnant with Poppy? Yeah um, just again so happy and I'd say excited so, like a different excited excited so much for um Daisy really because it's it's a big thing I, I I felt like this design to have a, a second child like was more terrifying than the first because it's not just yourself you've got to think about and um, you've got to think about you know your other your other little one and I did I did start thinking, right, okay, how's this gonna impact Daisy? Um, but yeah, we were we were so excited. We started talking about it early summer and we were um pregnant surprisingly quite quick by Daisy's um fourth birthday. So yeah, October we were pregnant and yeah, just very yeah, excited, excited to to tell her and again, like with when you get them. Two lines on the pregnancy test. You start imagining all the things that you're gonna do, and um, especially when you know a brother or sister. Yeah, just just so excited for for what the future held, really. And yeah, making plans before plans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, all yeah. oh, the Christmas pajamas, brother or sister, two sisters. You, know, <laughs> you do, you do, don't you? You just mm. as soon as you you get that pregnancy test, you you, you do start envisioning your future self and family yeah
0: yeah and how did your pregnancy with Poppy
1: go um yeah so I again I don't I didn't really suffer sickness um um tired as, as most people are especially more tired probably because Daisy at home and you know she was in nursery but yeah um I, I for the private scan again it was just like what kind of what I did with Daisy so I was going to do with this baby and yeah went for the um I think it was around about eight weeks um I think he had to be just over eight weeks to have a scan for them to obviously recognize that the heartbeat and we went and just me and Matt and it was very exciting um and yeah we there there our baby was the little flicker of of the heart and yeah we were like right wow this is amazing as, as, as usual with feelings and emotions and we decided to tell Daisy um after the scan and our family um which you know is quite early but she is very to me a bright little four-year-old and she she loves mummy cuddles and you know even now at five she wants me to carry her everywhere so and it would she would have really mum why can't you do this and why can't you do that so we wanted her to be involved so yeah we told her pretty much after the um, private scan and after the private scan um I started to have um a bit of spotting um which I'd, I'd never had with Daisy and I was like, mm, right, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about this. And I had my booking in, um, session, and I told the midwife then, and she was like, oh, right, well, it can be normal, you know, usual questions. Are you in pain? Is it this? Is it that? And I was like, I don't know. From that point, I was like, I just didn't have this with Daisy. Like, again, trying not to think just because the pregnancy with Daisy, it will be the same. But you know, she give me the midwife give me reassurance and and stuff so just kind of um carried on and I was um obviously in work I've got quite a quite a manual handling heavy duty job Um so the first kind of I had to have the discussion with work because I couldn't continue doing as much as I, I could previous so I told work and yeah, and I'm just waiting for the 12-week the, the scan. And between the 8- and 12-week scan, I, I still was having like this little bit of spotting. Um, and it got to about, um must have been about 11 weeks. And I had like what I thought, you know, was was a, a, a bleed. Um, and to me at the time, it was like a big bleed. But um, so we ended up going up to the... Um, it was a weekend, and we ended up going up to A and E, and because I wasn't in the bracket of you know being actually under antenatal at that point because it was so early, and A uh, and E, it was kind of there was no obstetrician there. It was you know we'll check you over, but you're not in pain. You you know I'm like I'm a, mis- I'm a miscarrying, and they're like well you know we 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 don't think so, you know all these things and basically said that they'd book me in to the early pregnancy um clinic um for the the follow following like Monday because this was the weekend so we went along to the early pregnancy and um apprehensive thinking the usual oh gosh heartbeat heartbeat and went into the scam room and there was yes heartbeat like I'd only had one episode of the bleed so it wasn't like a constant um so yeah so the the sonographer was um quite you know qu- quite uh, how do I put it into words you know oh sorry, everything's, fine. Okay. Yeah, everything's yeah everything's fine you know um the only thing that she um was unsure of is where the bleeds was coming from she couldn't see anything around the baby um so she did uh, like an internal scan um, because of the uterus,es she thought I might have been having a menstrual cycle from um, my other side of the uterus, because she, she she just didn't understand it. Not, not wasn't something that she'd seen a lot, um, so she kind of passed it off as that's basically what she thought was happening. Um, so our main priority was like the baby's fine, and the heartbeat's there, um, and then went away. And I think I come up to my, my just just literally come up to my twelve week mark. And, um, a couple of days after that, I was due for my 12 week scan. Um, and I was in work. Um, again, it's always a a weekend. It was always of a weekend. And and I had, I was in work, um, in the office and I just had this sensation. Um, I wouldn't say it was a gush, but it was something that I knew, wow, what is that? Um, and I I had a a big bleed. Um, and basically, um, from, from that, back to the early pregnancy um and sitting there waiting and the big bleed was you know again it wasn't a gone going thing early pregnancy and get getting scanned and thankfully matt was with me um and the sonographer just kind of was like right okay and we could see the heartbeat and she's like there's the heartbeat oh my gosh yes thanks thanks you know so grateful and relieved and she's like But her face kind of changed and I was like, right, that dread, that like, (gasps) what is going on? And she just kind of was like, got the scan from the week before that they had and got them on the screen. And I was just like, what? And you could just see two differences. So when you obviously look at your scan picture, you see this tiny little baby, you know, with their and it's kind of like in this black bubble. Well, that black bubble was basically non-existent. It was just all grey. And I just didn't understand. And she just kind of said, I'm really sorry. And I was like, I don't I don't understand. We've just seen the heartbeats flicker. You know, we can see that, even though everything else is all a bit blurred. And I was like, am I miscarrying? And she's like, no, no. Um, but the, there is a difference in scans. And then she was like, I'm going to get a doctor. Um, and they only ever had one room in the early pregnancy. So they were like, right, I'll put you in this room while we wait for the doctor. So we were in that room for like 45 minutes and we just did not know what was going on. I, I'd just seen my baby's heartbeat. You know, I, it, all you ever think, well, all I ever think thought at that time is I seen the heartbeat, the baby's alive, the baby's alive and didn't comprehend what, it really all meant because they hadn't explained at this point
0: and I guess she knew what it like she knew what it was and what it meant but she wasn't allowed to tell you that that's why they had to get a doctor I always I mean I kind of understand why they do it but I also I always think that's slightly ridiculous because you know all you want to do is know in that second what what is wrong you've just told me something wrong I'm probably imagine absolutely the worst case scenario
1: I just need to know yeah definitely I I, I agree looking back now that you know, you th- you think of the why didn't I say? Well, you know, why, why can't you tell me? Or can you just at least explain before you give me that forty-five minute wait that we didn't even expect to have? Yeah, it's all the. I, I understand as as it, to deliver news, it's very difficult for them, mm-hmm. and they and that you know it's hard. But we're just in limbo, aren't we? You know, what I mean, you're just waiting there, thinking of the all these scenarios in your head. Um, yeah, so the, the doctor came, um well I a doctor um and just basically said she was gonna do a swab and she thought that the fluid um had reduced and that was the first time we heard the fluid word. Um so she did the swab and she said, I'm gonna swab for infection too, and still not really had, had that conversation of what, what they were what was going on and what they potentially thought and ridiculously in shock i didn't ask because I, I didn't know how to react and, and matt was just obviously i had been upset matt was just there in the moment just trying to keep everything together and um, so they did the swab um and then she said oh it's negative and i was obviously negative for what and she said amniotic fluid and i was like so that's the fluid that you think's gone and she's like yes and then she went away and then we are back to the room um and then another consultant came, which was an early pregnancy consultant and um, took us into a room. And that's when we first had the discussion um basically about what now I know is um, PEPROM, um, which is basically when um, premature rupture of the membrane. So obviously your waters break <laughs> due to various different reasons um and she kind of told us what it all meant really
0: and what was the prognosis i guess which they gave you what did they tell you in terms of your pregnancy and what impact that was going to have
1: yeah so she was this consultant was very good um she um basically went through what what p prom is so it can happen due to um an infection it can happen and um, trauma some people sadly if they've been in a car accident or you know the trauma to obviously um the uterus belly um and then the other option is abnormalities um and then the other option is it's a fluke we don't know why and the the, the last option is most of the time the reason why they don't know why it happened um and I was just like well you know I, I've had a healthy pregnancy before you know what, what 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 did I do something what have I done did did I did I did I do something in work that I shouldn't have you know all these things and basically again it could have it's a fluke it, we don't know these are the things that we, they can but we don't know usually why um and she just basically said that your options um are um that basically well not your option sorry um what happens with PPROM, prom especially so early on is that you will um most likely have a miscarry within the next 48 hours and we were just like wow we've just seen our baby's heart and now I've got to kind of come to the realization that this baby is is gonna pass away and uh, yeah it was just horrendous and that was basically what she said is going to happen, and she said, "But there is um, cases where pregnancies continue, um, and they miscarry later on, or in some cases, they continue even longer." Um, she said, "But it, with the pregnancies that continue longer, is that the the babies, if they do survive um, past twenty four weeks, is that they have um, profound." problems and they have um lung and their lung development so they they can't breathe basically um very well um they have um cerebral palsy also as mentioned they have limb issues um yeah it was just a long list of what basically if the baby survives birth what the outcome for them is um and she said if you obviously don't miscarry, the other option also is for a planned termination. Um, and I was like, right, okay. So she gave us all obviously these options and I was just overloaded with, right, okay. The, 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 there's no options because basically you're telling me that my baby's going to gonna miscarry and we're going to miscarry in the next two days anyway. And um, yeah, so she... she did deliver that. It, it sounds a lot of information, but she did deliver it with empathy. You know, yeah. she was she was really caring and considerate. And um, she could see that Matt and myself, even though we were in this state of shock, we we wanted to absorb as much information as we could. Um and and she basically said, you know, if you if you if you want to to stay now and we can obviously go down the option of the the termination, that that is something that you can do she said but I want you to really think about you know what's the the next stage of go home and miscarry at home or if you just want to kind of stop the pregnancy now she said but I really want you to make you know I want you to to really think about that and not putting any pressure on you so it's just a horrible situation for her to give that news and yeah for us to sit I'm
0: I'm glad you know she did realize that you needed that time and there was no pressure then to, to to be like right well you need to make a decision now either you go home or or you know we're going to do this procedure because obviously you're completely in shock then and that shock doesn't just disappear and that's not a position you want to be in when you're making those kind of decisions so I guess you kind of you went home and tried to come to terms with this what what did you and Matt decide in the end
1: yeah so we went home, and um, I'm very much one for when things like this happen, family members get poorly or you know this I research basically google is is sometimes my nightmare and', and my savior and yeah, so um we googled um a lot that that when we when we came home, and just just trying to understand what it all meant. Um, And we come across a charity that supports um, women and families that have um, had premature rupture of their membrane. And then the charity is called Little Heartbeats. Um, And we kind of read stories and usual social media. Um, And yeah, we reached out to them just to kind of get some information um, because... It's a very premature rupture of the membrane. the The research that the NHS provides is is kind of there's not a lot of research anyway, but it's very back in the day. Um, so yeah, they provided us with a lot of information. Um, you know, not not all good. There, there was a lot of a lot of obviously positives, but they were, you know, making us aware that obviously other outcomes. So, yeah, we just kind of, again, absorbed all the information and decided, right, okay, we're going to go back to the hospital. We're, we're going to wait for the 48 hours and just kind of see see what happens and go back to hospital. And, and we are kind of just doing it day by day, to be honest, at that point, um, just, again, reading good bad stories just me personally trying to to cling on to hope really I was very even in the early days hope and as the t- hours went by and, and the and the two days I you know hadn't miscarried I hadn't had any more bleeds and um we went back to the to the hospital yeah and um we advised uh, the early pregnancy consultants and um, that you know we were gonna kind of carry on until this baby if so decides to come into the world when 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 it's ready as such we still were very much under the impression that this wasn't gonna be a long lasting pregnancy but I, I couldn't I couldn't make the decision to go through this the determination that's basically what I needed to tell her I I, I know that this is not gonna last. But I can't put myself in the situation of, of of making that decision to end it now myself yeah
0: yeah so how did things progress from that point so you're, you're kind of around 12 weeks and you, you had quite a bit of time before poppy before poppy arrived so how did things progress for the rest of your pregnancy
1: oh yeah that's uh, it, it so much happened yeah so much happens um we where yeah so between I'd say between 12 and 16 weeks and we were on pins um, and we were waiting to get to the 16 week mark because that's when fetal medicine would agree to see us Um, but between the 12 and 16 weeks it was just kind of in limbo and I was doing quite a lot of holistic stuff to, to from obviously stories drinking loads of coconut water and because I thought that would replenish my amniotic fluids and um, because there was stories out there where people's amniotic fluids had replenished so I was I was fixated on I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this point where okay it might not come back fully but you know it will it will you know even if it's a little bit um so yeah we got to the 60 week mark and we seen fetal medicine and um unfortunately that that appointment was very very um, clinical our early pregnancy consultant made us aware that fetal medicine will be very clinical i wanted to make you aware you know she she was oh, i wish we could have had our early pregnancy consultants all the way through um but yeah it was very clinical it was very distressing um it was an appointment that i still struggle with to this day um yeah, because that was the realization of the outcome for Poppy. Um, that basically she sat us down and said, This is the reason why amniotic fluid is so important um and kind of give us the, the full facts and made us realise without this fluid the baby can't, you know, it, it I basically found out that the they drink the fluid. That goes through their system, and then they pee it out, and then they re-drink it. And I know this sounds silly. I didn't actually know that.
0: No, I didn't until I heard it on another podcast. With you know, someone. you don't you don't know these things. I was like,
1: wow, <laughs> on one that is amazing, and two, oh my gosh, like wow, this is like these 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 facts are so important. And um, yeah, so we 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 learned a lot in that clinic clinical side of the appointment um but yeah so this um consultant only clinical option was to still end the pregnancy at 16 weeks she that was her her one choice basically um and she was very much so are we going to do it now type of thing um Mm -hmm. and I just yeah I just kind of broke down (laughs) because I could see that there was no there was no still no fluid there um and yeah, I just I was so fixated again on thinking I've done I've done everything between twelve and sixteen. I've done everything to try and get this fluid. I've done things that people say have helped, and oh, got, got got there, and there we go. No, it hasn't worked. And then this consultant's like, right, okay, so this baby, um, if it does get to twenty four weeks you know it's not going to survive so the only option that I'll give you is termination and and would you like to do it now and yeah it was very she described my baby's lungs as bricks and you can't put air in bricks that's how she basically said so it was it was a very emotional and very yeah hard hard appointment um for me and for Matt you know because we had so much hope even still because because we'd gone past the 48 hours of miscarry we got to 16 weeks but yeah and then the because because we didn't have that empathy and that appointment I then come fixated on um trying to reach out to other medical professions so we got a second opinion and the, we went over to um the Liverpool Women's Hospital because we were at our local hospital on the Wirral where we live. So we went to Liverpool Wirral um Liverpool Women's Sorry Hospital and we seen a Professor Zarko who um deals with um fetal medicine and he was doing a report on PPROM. Um, so we seen him and he sat us down and it was so completely different appointments. He said, what, what, I want to know what you know about PEPROM. He said, because you probably know more than me currently. He said, because we're just starting the stage of the research. Yeah. And he basically, he did give us the same outcome as the fetal medicine consultant in Ara Park, but it was the way he delivered it really. Um, so yeah, we left that appointment and we sat for five hours that day and just said we've had two people now say we don't think he should continue with the pregnancy but we've also got all these stories of survival and hope and you know just I just all these thoughts were going around my head but you know my baby's going to be the miracle and so yeah five hours of conversation with Matt and tears and you know unsure of what 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 to do because we've got daisy and if we have this baby that's mm. disabled it changes her life it changes our family's life Or oh, it was a very <laughs> a very tough evening that evening um um after that we came to the decision that we were gonna again carry on with the pregnancy and um, because they just kept saying that the baby won't survive to 24 weeks now that mm. right I, I can't physically end this pregnancy um i i, I I couldn't and I know that people's circumstances are different and it's heartbreaking but I, I just couldn't do it um, so yeah we just decided to to carry on and and see see what happens basically and just just hope 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 that's all we had okay it's an impossible decision
0: isn't it but you know there is i think there is a difference between kind of i guess letting nature take its course and as you say seeing what happens and and having to be the one to make that decision um and i think you know i think parents can choose either way and there is no right or wrong option in that and there is no easier option and no harder option um yeah it's just it's just an impossible situation um and i guess so where were you? So around this time, or maybe a bit after, was when the UK started going into lockdown. Yes. So how how did that impact your kind of ongoing pregnancy and care?
1: Yeah. So I got yeah. So we that it was kind of coming over, wasn't it? It was spilling over Europe. All this news of and from China and our hospital, um, my local hospital that I was under. Um,
0: you had a COVID, you had some yeah. cases, didn't you? Yeah, I remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So basically I I got admitted just after actually I got admitted with an infection after my sixteen week um appointment because with Pprom um you're at risk of infection. Um so I was getting my bloods taken every two weeks. Uh, sorry, tell me sorry, every two days I was getting my bloods taken because they were scared that I was going to get infection because they said, oh, this pregnancy is going to be a risk to your health if you get sepsis. So yeah, I got admitted and um, I was in hospital for two days because my my markers had gone up with infection wise. So that was a bit scary. And um, basically all these people from China came to our hospital in my mind that's what the the media was saying oh you know this hospital on the wirral this little place on the wirral is which no one's heard of yeah no <laughs> heard off, has got all these people and, and we went were, we went we didn't know if they were going to be in the hospital if they're going to have them we just didn't know anything and I was I just kind of was like I can't believe this is happening I've got this pregnancy that's so complicated um absolutely stressed out and now that my hospital is on a, on a selfish note is now bringing people from China who have got this deadly disease it was just yeah so it was a bit stressful because we didn't really know what was happening and um, but yeah they, they reassured me they were you know in a separate block it was away from the hospital it was actually where the students live Um, but there was media everywhere so every time when I left um, after being admitted, there was Sky News, BBC, all the media basically of the world were at my little hospital that I, that I was uh, going to every every two days to get my bloods. Um, yeah, and it was just kind of like, right, okay, this is going to go away soon. You know, it's a bit blown out of proportion. And, yeah, and then it just all changed. It was, It was, yeah, I was kind of in this state of shock. And I'd say pure panic. That's all I could could say is what is going on. Like I I'm trying to keep this pregnancy going as long as I can with um getting to 24 weeks. And then yeah, it just hit and everything just shut down. And I was in a yeah, state of panic, pure panic, because I, I needed I needed the NHS more than ever. And unfortunately it, it was it was struggling you know we didn't know what was going to happen and um, I was concerned about and um, neonatal oxygen supplies like it sounds it sounds silly to even think about that now but it was like I, I don't know about anyone else obviously that that went through this at the time but I was so paranoid that there wasn't going to be the right consultants there for me if poppy came early neonatally and yeah it was just this ball of anxiety and stress and panic and I'd say that kind of that was all through the pregnancy because because of COVID they stopped my I was going twice a week for my bloods they stopped that and I was kind of pleading with them you've said that this pregnancy is potentially a risk to my life Um, and I I still have that in my mind even though COVID is is around like I you told me that and I I I still need a level of care and my baby needs a level of care and they just yeah uh, one one conversation with one midwife was like well you know we're just you've just got to check your temperature Uh, and that was it yeah it was again I know they were under a lot of pressure and they were given a lot of information but I just didn't know what to do I was just I was just lost and yeah especially with the scans they I was told I had needed to be scanned every two weeks after 24 weeks and and that stopped yeah um we had to kind of reach out to other sources through social media to to make my hospital aware that I, I had to have these scans and yeah there was a lot of to and to and fro and of of departments to make sure that I was still getting my scans, yeah, that I was, that I was still high risk and, and regardless of COVID, I still had to have this level of care, yeah.
0: I think a couple of months later and they were kind of a bit more on top of things, but I think that initial reaction in certainly in some hospitals, maybe not all hospitals, um, was literally just stop everything um, like we're not thinking about anything apart from COVID and I guess perhaps because your hospital had had that early experience with having to take um, you know people who had tested positive or you know were thought to possibly be positive in they were maybe perhaps being even more cautious um, but it sounds like you really had to kind of and you did a good job of advocating for your care and really pushing to say no actually you know actually i really do need this and that in itself is another mental toll which you really don't need in terms of what you're going through you know you're you're in a pregnancy where you know that your child's probably going to die at some point and you're just kind of waiting and hanging on did you did you find out that she was a girl um
1: yeah this this yeah the the scans because of the lack of fluid, they were very hard scans the sonographers uh, we had to go to like the high-risk midwives and to get the scans because they were they were difficult challenging for them and they were open to say they were challenging um so yeah the one midwife um Iris midwife she was really good and she she said i can't tell you for sure she said i know we never say for sure but she said this is really difficult she said but i think it's a girl and i was like i was like yes <laughs> 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 at this point i didn't even care by the way i thought i don't i just want I, I want my baby and you know i want to try and get keep this baby in as long as i can And um, but i secretly which I didn't realize that I wanted a girl again. Like I think with Daisy, and you know, I just uh, again envisioned as, as the pregnancy got further, and I thought, right, hope you know I, I, she's going to be the miracle, she's going to survive, and you know, I, I may have to care and be in um, niku for so long, but yeah, this little girl, mm. she, she's 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 just she's going to be a, yeah. our little girl, and with Daisy, just again making them visions of the two sisters yeah yeah and
0: and I I know so so from my sort of pregnancy with my rainbow baby um and we had a few uh concerns I guess which came up around the 25 week mark and the consultants were talking in like milestones to hit and it was like right the first milestone you need to hit is 28 weeks and then 32 weeks and I remember my one of my consultants congratulating me on hitting 32 weeks because that meant I could give birth in the hospital I was supposed to deliver at, you yeah. know, know, if it was before that. So there's all these milestones. And, you know, Poppy got past that 24 weeks and she got past the 28 weeks and she got past the 32 weeks, yeah. which all I guess must have given you you a bit of hope. And then what? when when did she finally decide to arrive and what what happened around that time?
1: Yeah, so I had my... 32 week appointment and it was like wow it was it it was actually I hadn't actually been seen by fetal medicine up until from 16 weeks to 32 weeks and we still don't know why I wasn't actually my hospital said that they all work under fetal medicine but I was under an obstetrician um, and I wasn't being seen by the fetal medicine consultant. and so I got to 32 weeks and I was like and they were like, "Right, you're going to see the fetal medicine consultant." And I was like, "What? Like, I've been trying to fight for this through throughout it all." And um, yeah, so she um, had 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 the consultation with her, and the plan was basically to get to 37 weeks. Um, and Matt couldn't be with me, obviously, throughout you know the the process of scans and the bloods and stuff like that. Once COVID hit, he couldn't, so he couldn't be there. Um and we we discussed what we wanted to kind of be. We wanted to, we wanted to obviously accept and be aware of their recommendations and the safest way for, for us and the baby, but we had done so much research on PROM and between the 34 and 37 week mark is, is very high risk for PROM. And also with my abnormality, the risk of stillbirth goes up um yeah. because and um you know your placenta obviously um stops work can stop working due to the lack of fluids the baby's space because of their uteruses yeah so we I was trying to have this conversation with the fetal medicine and, and it was kind of like this is it you get into 37 weeks um even in that appointment they were like you know you've got this far it's unlikely that you're going to go into labor now and that was on the Wednesday and I went into labor on the Friday night yeah so yeah that that's that was just I was like right I don't want to get it sounds it's insane to say I don't want to get to 37 weeks but I was so scared of that 34 to 37 week mark I was petrified
0: I ask so with Daisy you had an elective c-section so partly because she was breached but also you said because you know because you had the two uteruses yeah um, it sounds like, so you went into labour naturally with puppet. Yeah. So what, what was the plan around that? Was the plan for you to, to deliver her naturally or to, to have a sort of C-section then?
1: Yeah, so basically it come to light also um, in the end part of my, my pregnancy was obviously we were going to try and get to the 37-week mark and have a planned C-section, but there was no plan of If I went into spontaneous labor, there was no, it was no discussion because they, it was strange. It was, you're going to lose this baby all the way through the pregnancy. And then I got to 32 weeks and it was kind of like, right, let's keep going to 37 to the planned C section. There was no discussion of, of spontaneous labor. I, I knew that obviously if I went into labor, that it would be a C section because um I'd found out that in this pregnancy I also have two cervixes
0: yeah yeah just uh, you're yeah I don't know how I don't know what to say <laughs> without it sounding really offensive I don't sound really offensive no you're a crazy person you've got one kidney two uteruses two cervixes
1: yeah. they put me together just with the last little bits I saved between to my yeah. mom and dad <laughs> yeah and um, yeah so I was aware that if I did go into labor but I didn't think awards that yeah it would be it was always going to be a C section. Um so yeah the Friday night came and I was feeling a bit I was I was on bed rest most throughout most of the pregnancy anyway because I was um losing fluids. So any fluids that were being produced it was I was losing constantly. Um, I was from twenty eight weeks, I had reduced movement, so I was up and down to triage. So when I got to when I got to the Friday night and feeling a bit unwell, and these waves of what I didn't realize at first were the start of contractions because I'd never, even though I'd been and I had had Daisy, I'd never be, I'd never had a contraction. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never experienced it. I, I, I was I was scared because I think I knew right. Wow, this isn't right. And I'd actually been to triage that day with reduced movements. And um, I was there quite a lot. <laughs> and um, so I was thinking, well, I've, I'd only been there. I'd left there at half one that day. And this was this was at eight o'clock. I started to feel these. So I just thought, how is this happening? So yeah, it was um, time in the contractions. And then the phone call, right, okay, this is this is uh, where we're at and this is kind of how I'm feeling and the midwife on the phone was like I I explained about the p-prom the the high risk that I've been in that day and she said right okay it sounds like Braxton Hicks stay at home and get a bath and I was like well I'm nearly 33 weeks and I'm high risk and also just to make you aware I can't get baths I couldn't get any baths throughout my pregnancy because of the risk of infection and she's like oh just get a shower and I just was in shock I was like um okay um yeah you know back on the beds and thinking right this is getting worse and then after basically 40 minutes Matt had, had enough and he rang up and she was like right come down and we went straight to the hospital and I was in a lot of pain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never felt pain like that before. Um, yeah, that was, quite, and it was terrifying because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know this was the realisation, like this, is is this actually happening now? Um, and we got to triage and Matt couldn't come in with me. Um, he had to sit outside and I was just crying and terrified and uh, spoke you know, they knew I was coming in, um, and the receptionist, can you take a water sample? So shuffling, shake, shuffling, shaking to the toilet, um, to do a sample and shuffle, shake back to triage with Matt help, but he can't get past this point of the door. Um, yeah, so he helped me in and the receptionist, um, sorry to relay back, uh, shuffle, shuffle to the toilet, done my, um, water sample and what i realized is i had um mecomium in my in my obviously my sample um and i I had quite a lot i could tell so i I showed the receptionist and she said right okay put me in a room and matt waiting outside and and um they kept me in that room for 45 minutes without being assessed so it was very traumatic in, in that time and matt couldn't come in and he'd rang them three three times through the buzzer, and they're like, the "Midwife's coming now, the midwife's coming now." And um, I was in that much pain, I couldn't even ring him. I was just crying and and te- absolutely terrified, just not knowing. I was just, I want to see someone. I want to see a midwife, you know? Um, yeah. And the midwife came and assessed me and realised about the mecomium and it was straight on straight onto the wheelchair opened the triage door you husbands yes quick get his stuff we're going down to the theater and yeah it was like just complete terror absolute mm-hmm. terror from the minute I walked into triage to getting onto that wheelchair it was um it was very scary and, and it was horrible to not have math there and to to comfort me and mm-hmm. sorry I don't want to get upset but to To think about him and how how he felt in that moment, yeah.
0: I think this is what I mean. It really kills me in terms of what women and men, you know, and partners have had to go through in COVID and this, you know, being apart and not knowing. And I think on either side, it's it's hugely traumatic. You know, women having to to sort of get that news alone and then having to break that news and, you know, the men. And I I remember my husband came to every one of my scans and sat in the car outside afterwards and I had about 20, 25 scans or something. Yeah. And he sat outside in the car and just, And uh, I mean, he got used to it and it, and because, uh you know, it, they ended up fairly routine, but certainly for the first few ones, you know, he must have been sat there just not knowing what was going on and not being able to do anything, you know, to support you. Um. So I guess so they got you into theatre pretty quickly to to get her out what what was that moment like when they got her out and what did they say because there must have been so many things going through your head in terms of you know what I guess what condition she was in what sort of health
1: she would be in coming out of you what what did they tell you? Yeah so because it was the emergency c-section it was so different to the obviously you know the plans with daisy and then you've got covid on top of this yeah. so there was a slight little bit of a wait because it was a very busy night so matt was obviously with me at, at that point and i'd had my covid test and um, so there was a slight little bit of weight on on the um the tests back because so, i'm a bit unsure of if the reason why with the wait was whether they were waiting for the result of the COVID test or whether it was because of the busy, you know, there was someone in theater before me, but yeah, so it was just, it when I say wait, it wasn't, you know, to me it was seconds, but it was just all very, very chaotic people coming in, people going out masks. Yeah. It was. So I went into theater and um, Matt, Matt was nowhere to be seen it's kind of like we were split and and yeah it was they taped up the door and and all I can remember is knocking because they were aware that neonatal had to be there but they couldn't be in the room until poppy was actually delivered so Mm -hmm. that was something that I was very scared of because again you just want everything to run smoothly and I don't I don't want people knocking I don't I I want them there then you know it's very I was very aware of that on top of everything else and Matt wasn't with me Matt with Daisy Matt was there even when I say I got the epidural but he was nowhere to be seen and I just remember saying where's my husband where's my husband and just hearing this as I say this knocking people in and out the surgeon with his big mask on it looks like something from a film um yeah and then Matt just appeared and it just went quiet and there was a lot of um, uh, you know, tugging and pulling and, and it just went quiet and I didn't hear a cry and um, they didn't really have that conversation of you know what what's going to happen because it was so rushed um, and there was it was just so quiet I just remember when she was born it was so quiet to me anyway it felt quiet it maybe wasn't um, and not hearing that cry was just just devastating because again hope stories of even babies you know an early early premature rupture you know there's there's, there is stories where babies have took their first breath you know and then needed assistance but they got that first breath in so I was again hope for that that sound and it didn't happen and we didn't get to see her We, we seen her being wheeled away in obviously a special incubator but we didn't know what had gone on we knew that they told us she, she you know she's alive, um, but she's very poorly. Um and you know, when, when you get con- when as soon as you can see her, you can see her. And you just kind of I, I don't remember crying at that point because I just think I was like, Wow, I, I just I can't explain it. It's it's like an out-of-body experience of thinking, I've had my baby, but I haven't got my baby. Mm-hmm. Um so it, it, it's quite, it's quite a strange feeling because she's alive and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, she's done so well. I'm so proud of her. And then to think, well, what, what's next? What, what, what next is going to happen? And um, not knowing. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And I guess, you know, you'd had the sort of, I guess, a more standard experience with Daisy. And, you know, your baby is born, your baby's placed on you, your, your baby is there and as you say it must have been so lost having my baby's born my baby's gone and all I want is to be with my baby and instead I'm kind of you know on my back on this theatre while they're kind of stitching me up and you know I've got all this anaesthetic going on and and everything's crazy and I don't really know what's happening and obviously you know their priority in that in that situation is to get Poppy you know to the treatment room and and the things she needs and you know, they haven't had a chance to maybe assess sort of how she is yet, but that must have been, must have been so, so hard. How, when, when did you sort of finally get to meet her or, or get to hear what her kind of...
1: Yeah, so we had, I had to be in recovery um, for a minimum of an hour, um, as in the room next to theatre where they assessed me. And then I went up to maternity. Matt was with me all the way through Um originally before COVID and we thought about potentially the long-term neonatal I had this vision of me going in recovery and not going with the baby but obviously because of COVID he, could, he couldn't go he couldn't go with the baby so he stayed with me so yeah we were together and um, in my recovery for I'd say it was about three hours maybe a little bit more that we were obviously, I was so aware that I needed them to just do what they needed to do. I, I wanted to know everything, but I also wanted not to want to take them away from her. She needed them, and I was second on the list. Like, let me know what, let, let me know the details as much as you can. But I don't. I just need just to focus on her. You know, keeping her, keeping her alive. So we got we got information. We did. You know, she is very poorly and. Um, we were advised that she did need um, some form of resuscitation. Um, She was born alive, but obviously couldn't get that breath. Um, Again, it was just she's very poorly. And the consultant that was dealing with her came up, and I think this is the first time we realised, and he said we need to get mum and dad down there now. (sighs) And, um, yeah, that was was difficult for the hospital too because um, I was – put from a recovery bed to the standard bed in maternity and obviously I couldn't move because I just had the c-section so they it, it, all these people in the room discussing how they're going to get me down there because the neonatal ward had very um small corridors so the the bed that I was on couldn't fit and I was like right <laughs> they're just all talking about so what should we do, 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 do. how should we do it we, we can get around this bend and yeah so they decided to get me back on the recovery surgical bed and get me down there <laughs> and it yeah it was it was a it was a tough tough one for me, Matt mm-hmm. and them because they were so they to be honest they were so amazing because they just were like we need to do this now, we need to get her on, we need to get her down and then um, yeah they they um took us down there, and poppy was in an isolation room away from the the big ward of Neonatal because of COVID. Um, They couldn't put her onto the ward. She didn't have COVID, but they didn't know basically if she did or didn't. So she was in her own room and there was just obviously a lot of people around her and they wheeled me in. And um, yeah, it was just, it was terrifying because I was scared going into them doors thinking that I've got this poorly baby, you know, she didn't cry. And I'm so scared of what 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 she might be like and then they wheeled me in and it was just like looking at Daisy she was just perfect she was um yeah she I was like wow she doesn't look like this poorly little baby Mm. she was four pound one um and she 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 did have um a few issues with her legs um which obviously due to the lack of water and and then on top um the space in the uterus for her but other than that she just looked perfect and she had all these wires on her and and um that was that was you know the beeping and all that was very traumatic but I was just so fixated on on this beautiful little baby girl in front of me yeah yeah it was just it was just like looking at her sis a big sister yeah mm-hmm and how did the
0: next sort of day play out then because i guess there was were you able to stay with her or did you have to to go away again what what happened
1: yeah so she um she survived for um 26 hours um and it was very um they were very hopeful at the i wouldn't say hopeful uh, they, they were very um aware of how poorly she was but mm. there was signs of improvements within her lungs and um, she was slightly improving on that um, but the problem was is her, 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 blood, her, her blood pressure and her organs and um, that's what the, the the main concern that they had was was around that and obviously and her breathing but there was a slight improvement on her breathing and um, so we were we were they were amazing. They just basically integrated us into when they were caring for her, you know, we we just stayed with her. Um I, I did have to leave to because obviously I'd just had my big operation. So I did have to go back and forth and um, because the maternity staff that were upstairs again because of COVID couldn't come down to neonatal to assess me. So I had to go back up and back down and um yeah and I was we were exhausted obviously, but we didn't want to be away from her too long. Um and then she went on to the main once once she was cleared of obviously the the COVID and she went onto the the main ward of neonatal. Um where all the other babies are um, and they were obviously she was the they did make us aware she is the one that you will see us with Mo you, you know we were with her constantly and our consultant Sarah and um, kept us updated of everything and then um, again just constantly telling us that she was very poorly Um and they I think it was it was coming to the evening time and I think, again, it's so, it's bizarre when you're in that, that ward of, you just don't know what time it is, you don't know what day it is, you just, I can't even remember eating, I can't remember any, like they brought food down and we had, they had like a little, you know, family room and I, I ate there, but I, I literally could not remember. Um, so I remember one of our neonatal nurses saying, you need to get some sleep, like, it, you need to you know um she's you know she's stable Um again she's still very poorly and um, so we we went upstairs reluctantly to get some sleep and um from what i'm aware is we'd be maybe up there about 15 20 minutes and the door flung open and it was get down there now she's crashed you know mm-hmm. and it was just i remember um, excuse me um I remember being um, terrified and screaming at Matt to go faster on the on the wheelchair, go faster! Like the, my poor husband was terrified himself, and I was like, "I don't care about the doors, just just get me through them," you know. And he was scared for me because obviously I'd, I'd had the operation, yeah. And um, we got there, and and um, Sarah, our consultant, basically said, "You know, she, she's." She's come come back up. She's you know she's come back up, and we were like, wow, and we didn't we didn't want to leave her um, again. And then yeah, we just stayed with her, and um, her, 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 her heart wasn't raising as much as they'd liked. But and she said she spoke to Matt about you know when it's if it is time, you know she will she wouldn't want poppy to suffer um, and she would make us away, but then she stabilized again um, and we Matt went to they said we've got a room down here a family room where you can sleep you know actually here so you don't have to have the trauma of coming down the lift and all through the hospital to get to us so Matt was like great okay I'll go and get the bags and um, he went to go and get our bags from upstairs from the uh, maternity wards and poppy crashed while she like went like she knew <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, I, I, and as as this was happening I was reading to her I, the, the neonate were amazing I was reading this little book called the oh, what was it the gingerbread man yeah the gingerbread man book and I was singing to her and then I could see a heart rate dropping, and Sarah our consultant came over and was like where's Matt and he, um, ring him and he was I don't again I don't know but he just appeared he must have ran the fastest he'd ever ran and then and, um, yeah she uh, they t- took her out and um, put her on me and um yeah she she, she sadly slipped away in, in our arms yeah yeah peacefully you know she didn't have all her wires on her at that point and yeah she just slipped slipped away peacefully yeah
0: oh, I'm so sorry thank you so much for sharing that with us sorry I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting careful as well it's um yeah it's such a yeah such a sad story and I'm I am glad that you got to hold her yeah hold her at that time in the end yeah and I think after um after obviously, you know, th- things happen in the hospital and stuff, I think you then went to, or you were able to go to a hospice to actually spend a bit of time with Poppy and have Daisy there as well. Could you tell us sort of how that came about and, um, and what the hospice gave you in terms of, I guess, making those memories and having that time together as a family?
1: Um, yeah, when, um, when Poppy was um, in the neonatal um the hospital uh, I've got a process of um our local hospice um Claire House and um, to come mm-hmm. so pop when Poppy was still with us Claire House came and they um took footprints while she was still here um and they were very much like we're, we're here you know if if the the time comes where you need us then we we'll, we will be here again if you do because we were still again very hopeful so we'd met them just before poppy had passed um so yeah they the um they came to neonatal after she passed so about she passed at 3 um, 3 in the morning and um they were there at like half nine so you know they the same morning um and they came and basically they were incredible all to be honest all even neonatal was incredible like once poppy had passed we had an amazing neonatal nurse who said you know do you want to bath her we bathed her and you know got we didn't we didn't really have much clothes you know they the neonatal got clothes and she she just this nurse was like an angel basically, and then um, she explained that Clare House, if we're happy to, and um, will come and um, and you know explain what 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 options you've got. So they came and um, they basically said, you know, you can come back to Clare House with us, and we we're just like, oh, what what do we do? We don't know. That we don't know what to do did you stay in the hospital do you not nothing was discussed if Mm -hmm. poppy passes away what 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 options only until once she she passed and they just kind of said you can come back with us um you can stay with us for seven days with poppy and we can look after you daisy can can come um and yeah we decided to to do that and we're just so grateful we did they came and they had an absolutely beautiful Moses basket for Poppy and then um, they we, we we placed her in in the Moses basket and we um we we traveled to Clare House um with 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 our two Clare House support workers me and Matt like we I don't know what we would have done without them really yeah they they took us to Clare house to House is obviously a, a children's hospice um and they have a bereavement suite within the hospice um it's called the butterfly suite so they they took us there and um they have a room set up like a a, a cart and um a rocking chair and Beautiful scents and just—it was just like being at home, basically. You know the way that you would have your nursery set up, and, and they have the cold cot where Poppy was placed. And um, yeah, and off from that room was a living room, and just with a, a doors open to this beautiful garden. Yeah, and it was just—it's strange to say, but it was so peaceful. It was just—it was like we were, couldn't bring Poppy home, but that was the best. For, for us to to take her there, because looking back now, I couldn't imagine i I didn't see the bereavement suite in our park I didn't experience anything like that, but in my vision I, I've only got Clare house and and that felt like where Poppy's home was at that point, you know that's where she she needed to be with us, yeah
0: and how did you explain Poppy's death to Daisy and what did she make of her little sister?
1: We got to Claire House, obviously, um, late morning, and Matt's um, Daisy was with Matt's mum. Obviously, we hadn't seen Daisy since I went into to labour, and um, so Matt went to to get Daisy. And before he did, he, he said, "Should should we tell her now?" And I said, "And I said, yeah." I, I looking back now, I I feel overwhelming guilt that. I wasn't there but he he told her when he got to his mum's um because when I went into labor Matt was putting him into bed mm-hmm. we we didn't re- you know when I didn't know I was in labor I was just feeling a bit poorly so and she said she, when I went before I went into labor she went night mummy are you okay and I was like yeah and yeah just feeling a bit tired and she was like baby's ready to come now and I didn't know at this point so when obviously she woke up the next day and I wasn't there with Matt she knew that mummy and daddy were at the hospital so she knew that where we were so when Matt went to pick her up Matt's mum hadn't said anything to Daisy just mummy and daddy were at the hospital you know stuff to do with the baby so Matt went and, and took her into Adam's front room and kind of explained to her and he said that he'd he'd never really heard a cry like that before and she was very very upset but very wanting to see me um which is typical Daisy Mm. she's a bit of a mummy's girl (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so it was very um mattered it was it was very sad and heartbreaking um but we just needed to be as a family, so he he brought he brought her to Claire House and yeah, she um she came into the room and Poppy's nursery is off the living room and at first she didn't really want to see Poppy. Um we made her aware that Poppy was in there. Um Matt had said that Poppy Hearted, um, heart had stopped, he'd use the you know the words that Claire House had supported us to to give deliver that news to a child of their age. And then she she didn't want to see Poppy at first. And then um because it's such a new place like most children, they, they've been in COVID, she hadn't seen what many new places. It sounds strange to say but she was quite excited she thought it was like a hotel <laughs> yeah um and then after a couple of hours um because Claire House had a big playground it's an absolutely beautiful place even though it's a hospice it's an incredible beautiful place but it had a big playground and they let her go on it and she hadn't been on a playground for, for so long Matt took her on there and I was just yeah I was just a mess trying to keep it all together as soon as she came back and the daughter, um, Poppy's nursery was open and she just went in, just went in and it was incredible to see. Yeah, she just, there was a little c- CD player there and she'd come across a frozen CD. So she put the frozen soundtracks on for Poppy um, and sat sat, and we read books. Um, and Yeah, we just kind of spent time there as a family and and Daisy, Daisy just, Went in and out whenever she she wanted to, and um, yeah, we we spent we could have spent seven days there, um, but because of Daisy, she was getting a little bit, and Poppy was changing, um, and yeah. we 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 were very conscious yeah. of that, and um, but yeah, we 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 were in them three days that we were there, we made a lot of memories. Um, we got to take Poppy again. People, it's hard because people saying this to someone that hasn't gone through baby loss is a very strange conversation to say I took my dead baby for a walk but I did <laughs> and we did and it's something that I'm so glad that we did and Claire House I didn't know that I could Clare House suggested it they had a beautiful amazing silver cross pram and they put Poppy in and we just walked around the grounds of of Claire House and I got Poppy out and we had some absolutely beautiful pictures and Daisy got to to be close to her She didn't really want to hold her as such, but she got to I held her and she got to be close to her instead of just seeing her in a cot. yeah and they're memories that I'll forever cherish I'm so grateful to Claire house for for giving me that opportunity really
0: mm-hmm. And we're now just over six months after Poppy's death. How have the past six months been for you? And how have you kept going, kept being a mother to Daisy while grieving Poppy and dealing with everything the world has thrown at us in in
1: 2020? Um, yeah, it's been very difficult. Um, I'd say in relation to carrying on as a as a mum with a for just five-year-olds um and it's been difficult because you you, you carry on because you've got them of course you they're the reason you swing your legs out the side of the bed every day but then there's that overwhelming feeling when you don't want to swing your legs out the side of the bed and um, she's an absolutely incredible Daisy and um, she's my complete support but I wish she didn't have to be, you you know, it's, it's hard and Matt's been incredible, but I've just, I'm coming, I'm getting better at accepting that I don't have to be super (laughs) mum, if that makes sense, you know.
0: And it's still such early days as well. Yeah. Like it really is.
1: Yeah. And coming to the realisation that, that I'm not the same person as I was not even just six months ago, my, you know, my waters went around December, you know, December last year. I, this is when my isolation started. Obviously COVID happens in March, but my, my issues started nearly a year ago. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's the last six months is trying to now come to terms with and accept that I am different person and we're a diff. you know we are a different family now in good ways and unfortunately in sad ways yeah it's um it's 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 been a tough journey but of course it's going to be tough and it's i'm just trying to accept that really now and then it's hard with with covid um you know I, i I've, I've unfortunately, you know, friendships uh, are with baby loss and pregnancy complications, they're, they're stretched because people don't know how to be, you know, in the moment, or you don't know how to be in the moment with people and express yourself. Um, and then on top of that, you can't have that interaction, you know, that actual one on one time to sit and hold someone's hand and, yeah, um, be be with each other and, And just grieve, yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's been tough, you know. I've had, you know, a very small handful of friends that that have have, have been there, and I'm so grateful for that. But COVID has as kind of robbed robbed us of being together as friends, as family, going through a traumatic time. It it is. I do feel a bit robbed, really.
0: Yeah, no, I can completely understand that. I think robbed in so many ways of you know, you're during your pregnancy, your birth, everything really. Um, yeah, so I, I could keep talking to you all day. I know there's so much stuff which we haven't had time to cover. So I'm sorry about that, but we we are about out of time. So yeah. thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Jenna, and sharing Poppy's
1: story. Would you like to tell people where they can connect with you online? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, And my Instagram is jenno, J-E-N-N-O-O-1. So thank you for the opportunity. That's great. I will include that link in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming
0: on and sharing your experience.
1: Thank you, Alison.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.